I don't know if uh, you've ever been reading the Bible and it feels uh, maybe what you might say a little outdated. You start to read through, if you get a chance to read through all of, uh, of, of Hebrews 9 and Hebrews 10, it talks a lot about blood. In 2022, it just feels a little bit like, why are we talking so much about blood? This feels a little strange. I mean, this text over and over is talking about blood, innocent blood, shedding of blood all the time. And I think when we think often about Christianity, we want to think through the lens of all these amazing things that it has, this lens of love and being accepted and being adopted and being rescued and all those things are great. So the question is, why so much blood? Why are we talking about blood all the time? Kind of one of the things I think that freaks people out. If you're outside of the faith, you've not been a follower, if you're in here, maybe this is new, or you guys are joining us online, you're trying to understand what this Jesus thing is about. Why are we talking about blood all the time? Why is it necessary? Well, the pastor or this writer wants to be able to let this truth sink in really, really deeply. It's why he's writing about this. It's trying to make some sense of what we saw in these ancient days or in this Old Testament time. And what we're going to find is that we see this understanding, the Old Testament, this symbolism. There is deep, deep, deep truth for us to receive from it. And what we're going to find is, as we start looking at blood, there's some really negative things that it has to say, and then there's some really amazing things that it has to say. And again, as we've been going through this, it would be one of those things that would be, oh, man, maybe we could just skip the blood part. Feels awkward. But the Lord's saying, no, there's some real things that he wants for us to have. And so here's the question I want to start with. What on earth is this text teaching? What does the Old Testament have to say about Blood. Why is it so important? What on earth does it have in terms of relevancy in 2022 to my life? So let's ask the question and come to the text. Now, I'm going to give us just a few things so that we can begin to move forward. Number one, the flow of blood in Scripture is, means there's something deeply broken. Anytime you get to see that, right? If you had blood flowing from your body out of your face or out of your chest or out of your eyes even, it was likely something bad was happening. That's just kind of like general info. But, uh, right, I don't know if you've ever had, you know, blood coming out somewhere in, in some way, uh, like out of your face. It's not usually typically a good thing, Right? Uh, and what it meant is, listen, you're in, you're in danger. So there's a, there's a negative connotation. Let's just own it for a minute. So we get to see, we get to see this in our lives. We get to see this throughout Scripture. There was something deeply broken. Two, we see that blood is seen as a stain. In Isaiah, uh, God comes and says, listen, your sins... It's actually Isaiah 59. You can look it up later. Your sins have separated you from me, and your hands are stained with blood. It was a picture of brokenness, something that was on the people that they could not get rid of. There was a mark on them for the ways that their hearts had turned away from God, and they had moved towards their own ways, and, and, and they had found themselves utterly marked in brokenness, which leads to the third expression that we see through the scripture through the Old Testament, where blood is often an expression of guilt. 
And with Seeb, you can go back to the very first recorded murder in human history, but certainly in Scripture. Cain comes and he, in a fit of jealousy and rage, kills his brother Abel. And then when he runs, God comes to him and he says something so almost shakingly profound. He says, your brother's blood is crying out to me, meaning the guilt of what you have done is seen and it's expressed in this broken expression of guilt through blood. The question is this, so what does all that mean? What's the point of this scripture pointing to this Old Testament rite of blood being sacrificed on the altar? What's it trying to say to us? What we get to see over and over again through Scripture and throughout human history is that this issue of blood is about helping us see that there is something deeply, deeply wrong with this world. And it's not on a surface level. It's on a very deep, profound, full level because what is blood? It is the source of life, isn't it? You can't have life without Blood. And what this, what we see the scripture pointing to is that we are living in a reality where there is a world that is broken. Now, what it's easy to do is to point out to all the world out there and go, yeah, man, the world is really broken, right? But this text in particular is going to point inward just for a moment to a reality that we all have to face, and that is. Every one of us have been complicit in the brokenness of the world. Everyone. Every one of us have had our hand in this world being broken because of sin. And the point of these offerings of blood that these uh, high priests would bring to the tabernacle or into the temple on our behalf was to acknowledge we have been complicit in owning and having guilt and having that stain on us. That that mark of sin is on everyone. And there is this desperate need to be clean. But the problem in the Old Testament is what? What does it tell us in chapter 10, verse 11? It says, those priests kept coming over and over and over and over to offer these sacrifices, to shed blood, to cover our own guiltiness, right? The point of these sacrifices is to be able to say, hey, there's something wrong and it's serious. And I think in 2022, it's easy for a moment to forget the seriousness of sin and this stain that actually exists. And the beauty of the Old Testament was that there was a constancy of having to bring before the Lord the reality that this sin was serious. It really is a very serious thing. The point of Christ coming is because sin is really, truly serious. The problem with the sacrifice and the bringing of bulls and lambs and before the altars, they had to keep doing it over and over and over again. 
because it could take away sin. But hear this, the guilt had nowhere to go. Could keep coming and offering the sacrifice to try to cover the sins, but the guilt stayed. And what did that leave us with? Well, what we've all experienced. When there's guilt that sits on us, what happens? A painful, bad, or what this scripture will call a guilty or evil conscience. Now listen, of all the things that there are to confront in the human spirit, one of the hardest things to confront is this issue of guilt and this issue of a broken conscience. It's hard. In some ways, I don't know that I really relish, except for that we're going to get to some good news here in a minute. I know some of you are like, okay, Keith, thanks for inviting me into the heavy sermon this morning. But it's facing and bearing out this having a conscience that weighs so heavily. And so I want to talk about conscience for just a minute, and then we're going to see what God has to say about all of this to our hearts here today. So sometimes a textbook definition is super helpful for uh, understanding what a concept is, but then sometimes you just need like a real world, like how, to, what does this actually mean in our lives? And I thought uh, Tim Keller had such a great expression of what it is to have conscience, what conscience is. Here's what he says, it says, your conscience is, are you fit for the presence of God? Are you fit to be in the presence of other people? He says, a bad conscience means a profound self-consciousness in a sense that you could not survive here, this close examination, a sense that if people really knew who you were, really knew what was wrong with you, really knew what was in your mind, really knew the motives of your heart, really knew what you were like, you'd be rejected. That's conscience. And every one of us wants to deeply be rid of what this text calls evil conscience. Everyone. No one wants to walk around with a conscience that is uh, uh, pulling down, uh, pulling down their heart, pulling down life, keeping them from experiencing this fullness that every one of us wants to have. Every person, all of mankind is looking for rest from Guilt and what the scripture would call an evil conscience. That's what Tim Keller, I think, was trying to describe there. That thing that we can't measure up. And I think that's what the pastor is saying or this writer is saying is, listen, he's not just saying this is an indictment on the way that they used to do things in the Old Testament. What he's saying is we're all coming into this tent, so to speak, coming into that place with hands open, but there's nothing that we can actually do about it, meaning we're all doing what we can do to try to cover up that sense that we're not what we ought to be. We experience that uh, inwardly to deal with the fact that our consciences are not at rest, that if people knew what we were really like on the inside, that people could really see what we were like. They could see how weak we were, how wrong we were, how proud we were, how scared we were that we wouldn't be accepted. And I think the enemy tries to prey on that place of what Scripture was called, that evil conscience, where we would never want people to see. And therefore, we have this conscience that keeps us in this place of brokenness. 
You might go, well, listen, maybe that used to be that way, but not in 20, 2022. I mean, nobody has conscience, right? We're not, nobody's struggling with that anymore, right? Truth is relative. Uh, for, for most people, we live in a culture now that's going like, People aren't really struggling with this. There's just too much relativity going on these days to be able to say anyone's really wrestling with conscience, right? To this kind of conscience that, that the scripture's describing here. But isn't that the whole point? The whole point of relativity in our age right now is to what? Keep moving the bar so I don't have to feel guilt, right? It's to say, well, if I can just decide what my truth is, that I can just keep moving it so that I don't ever have to feel uh, a sense of guilt, or I don't have to deal with this conscience thing that's going on that's telling me, hey, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. So I'm going to keep moving the bar out. I'll keep changing uh, the, the level, if you will, just to try to get rid of what that scripture calls this evil conscience. It's going to keep moving the bar of truth so I don't have to deal with it. And it feels incredibly weighty. I don't know anyone that hasn't, uh, if they've been in Christ for any moment, had the opportunity for uh, guilt to come to the surface and have to deal with the conscience that comes and wants to try to press us down. That, what the scripture calls that evil conscience. Which all feels incredibly heavy until you get to the good news. No. You ready for the good news? We set up all the bad news. Yeah, yeah. My wife's going, all right, pastor, let's get there. All right, let's get to the good news. Here's the good news. And here's what this scripture is trying to say. God so radically loves you and me this very morning. Not just like out in the clouds, like you and me sitting here right here, right now. He is ready to pull the heaviest guilt the weightiest burden, the most toxic shame off of every one of us right now and ready to cleanse our conscience completely. And any evil that has besieged you or pressed you down or made you feel worthless, God's ready to throw it into the sea this morning. And that's what he did in sending his son to pay the price once and for all. So we talked about all the negative parts of what blood means and what it does in scripture. But the truth is, is that uh, that guilt, that stain, that shedding of blood, no matter how many times it could never fix our problem, but there was a blood that was shed that could take all of that brokenness and all of the shortcomings in every way that we have not measured up and to be able to come and to give us fresh life. So God in his deep love for us came to do something eternal, not temporary, not like, ah, you messed up, so you gotta come back again and fix it all over again. No, God wanted to come and say, I have loved you so radically, so fully, so perfectly. I am going to do for you one time for eternity what you and I could not do for ourselves. Get rid of the guilty conscience. God says, well, listen to this. In my son, you can be made fully whole and no longer have that broken conscience weighing you and I down. He had a solution to, if you will, the blood problem, to our guilt and to our stain. And so what did he do? 
What did he do? Did he go, ah, it's not that big a deal. We'll just call it good. No, he didn't do that. In fact, I'll just say this. One of the things that I've learned, there's actually a healthy guilt. What do I mean by healthy guilt? It means this. You and I get to come and say, we have fallen short, just to own that for a moment. Because when you and I can actually own here, in, uh, in the here and now, when I know that I have fallen short, then I get to actually turn my hands up and say, I can't do anything about it and I need help. And it's that expression. In fact, the scripture would say this. If you were to come in here and go, ah, it's not that big a deal. Or what the scripture would say is, if you say you have no sin, then it says, the scripture is really straightforward. It says, you're a liar. I love that. But what he's trying to say is, hey, when you come in and you go, ah, it's not that big a deal. God goes, no, hear this. I'm so beautiful and so holy, so righteous, and I so long for a relationship with you, but we got a chasm here, and sin has separated us, and I'm here to bridge the gap. But you and I have to have a moment where we come into what's called healthy guilt, or the healthy conscience that says, I don't have it. I can't do it. And we come before him. When we do that, what he says is, I will come and be your perfect, spotless offering forever. And so what did God do? He didn't go, ah, it's no big deal. We'll call it good. He came in and said, no, I'll send my one and only son, and I'm going to pay the price to bury guilt and shame forever. I'll give you my son and I will give you his blood in your place. Now, uh, if you've been in church for a while, that it might could even just sound like, yeah, I, I understand that. That's good. That's good. But I, had, I, was, I, got, I found a, a little excerpt from a book that I just wanted us to begin to feel the weight of what it means for God to come and take our place and pull guilt and ransom us and save us. There's a man named uh, Ernest Gordon. He was uh, an allied prisoner uh, in World War II, and he was in a Japanese POW camp in Thailand. And he actually wrote a book that uh, was called Through the Valley of uh, the Kwai. It's actually a true story. And at one point he says, listen, uh, that they were out one day and the POWs were out working. And here's the quote from the book. It says this. The day's work had ended, and the tools were being counted as usual. As the party was about to be dismissed, the guard shouted that a shovel was missing. The guard insisted that someone had stolen it. Of course, that's serious because if a shovel is stolen, it could be used for escape. Everybody could have escaped. So striding up and down before the men, the guard ranted and raved, working himself into a fury Screaming in broken English, he demanded that the guilty one step forward to take his punishment. No one moved. The guard's rage reached new heights of violence. Then, and he, uh, quote, then all die, all die, he shrieked. To show that he meant what he said, he cocked his rifle, put it on his shoulder, aimed at the first man in the rank, prepared to shoot and to work his way down the line. At that moment, a soldier from the Argyle Regiment stepped forward, stood stiffly to attention, and said calmly, I did it. 
The guard unleashed all his whipped-up hate, kicking the helpless prisoner and beating him with his fists. Still, the Argyle stood rigidly to attention, chin up, though now blood was streaming all down his face. His calm silence seemed to goad the guard into greater rage. Seizing his rifle by the barrel, the guard lifted it high over his head and brought it down over the, uh, the man's head, who sank limply to the ground and never moved again. Though it was perfectly clear he was dead, the guard continued to beat him and stopped only when he was exhausted. The men of the work detail picked up their comrade's body, marched back to camp, and when the tools were counted again at the guardhouse, it turned out that no shovel was missing. They were saved by this man's blood. You know, if you feel the power of this man and his innocence, to think about the reality that he hadn't taken the shovel, but he was willing, out of love for these men, to give his own life, to speak of the worth and dignity and value of those men that he served with. What? Thank God for men like that, one. But two, to embody such a beautiful picture, to be willing to have blood shed, to say, me for them. To say, me for them. But not just physically. I don't know if you could imagine what it would be like to be, have been one of those prisoners whose life was saved that day by someone who gave himself so sacrificially. I don't know, but that, I think that would be so deeply profound. To have that experience of someone that loved that kind of love. I think that would be profound in the way that we would want to live and to say, my life has meaning and purpose. Church, what if that blood were shed for you and me? That is the point of Hebrews. In fact, in fact it's actually the point of the whole scripture. And what chapter 9, verse 12 is pointing us to right here, where Jesus entered once and for all, not by the means of someone else's blood, like every other high priest, but he came offering his own. This is the God who has loved us with an everlasting love. He has shown us exactly why he came to us in his son. Because we had a problem. We were guilty. And I, I know that in this day and age, it's, it's much more popular to go like Jesus was a amazing teacher, revolutionary, moral leader. And to be sure, hear this, he was all of those things, Jesus was all of those things powerfully. But hear this, he was something so, so, so much more. He first and forever is our eternal sacrifice. That's who he is. Second Corinthians 5, 21 just says, for our sake... God, or the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Meaning this, if God comes in and says, ah, it's no big deal, then what? He isn't God and he isn't righteous. He isn't just. It's not okay to overlook things that were done that are broken. So when he looks at sin, 
He's got two options, right? There's two things that God can do when he sees sin, he sees guilt. What does he do? He can either judge us and we suffer, or he can forgive us and he suffers and he pays the debt. Those are the two options. And the writer of Hebrews is just here to say, God so radically loved you. He was so for you, he was willing to send his son to pay the ultimate price, to take our guilt on himself. And that means Jesus came not to inflict more violence and evil, but to absorb it, to take it on, to destroy the power of evil over your life and over my life, and to take all of that on himself and to pay the penalty for sin, which has two radical, powerful ramifications, and we'll finish with this. Number one is this, and here's what the scripture is going to say. You and I today, our conscience can be made clean and fresh. And this is what the writer was saying to this group of people that were going through some incredible hardship. What does chapter 9, verse 14 says? How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Man, what a powerful reality. He gave us himself so that you and I right now could be purified, our conscience made clean, not uh, uh, condemning as it often wants to do, but to give us purity in our heart. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I'll have a tendency to just want to try to fix things that I think I've messed up. I just want to do that so often. Uh, At any point in time in my life, when I've messed up royally, what the thing kicks in, what, what happens? Guilt kicks, when, when I'm guilty, uh, conscience kicks in and says, ah, oh, you haven't done it. Oh, you've messed up. Oh, you're not good enough. If anyone knew who you really were, if anyone know, knew uh, what you were really like, right? That's where that evil conscience comes in. And so what do we want to do? We want to try to fix it. We want to pay for our guilt. We want to try to fix our conscience. And so what do we do? We try to be a better husband or a better father, a better mom or Better wife, we try to fix what was broken before. We can do the serve thing or do the, you know, donate the money or do all the things to try to get the clean conscience. In fact, that's what this scripture is talking about here. Back in verse 14, where it says, our purify our conscience from dead works, meaning trying to do good stuff in order to be okay. And what God wants to say is, listen, you're going to do amazing things. You're going to do, in fact, you were made for good works, but it's not going to become because you're trying to justify yourself. It's going to come because you've been made whole in me forever. All the good things that you are called to be and to do is not so you and I can get on God's good side. What he said is, I want you on my good side. I'm going to send my son to take your place so that when I look and see you, I see the beauty of my son. That's the point. God wants, hear this, for you and me to be utterly clean in our hearts before him today to have a clean conscience so that when we ask the question, can I come before God? Is it okay for for me to stand before people and preach? 
knowing that I have no perfection. You don't have a pastor that has perfection. Just newsflash. I know many of you thought that, but it's not true. <laughs> I'm so deeply flawed. And my conscience could tell me, you don't have any business preaching to anyone. You don't have any business. You've heard that you've heard your conscience before. Who are you? The enemy just chattering away. And what God does is he says, no, no, no. Evil conscience be cast into the sea. That's my son. That's my daughter. Clean. You and I come clean before the Lord, not because we finally figured it out how to get rid of our guilt. It's because we brought our guilt to the Lord. And he said, it's mine. You're clean. I love that. That's one of the, the most beautiful things I think that Jesus says to his disciples, they, they all left him. Every one of them abandoned. Everyone abandoned Jesus. And he said, listen, I know that you're going to do this, but you need to hear this tonight. They say, he was saying as they were taking the last supper, he said, tonight you're clean. I know you're going to fall tomorrow, but tonight you need to hear this. This is who you are, clean and when you and I stand in that, then we get to walk in the freedom that comes from our cleansing in him. Let me tell you, if you're weighed down by a guilty conscience because you've fallen short today or yesterday or this week or this past year, the Lord's arms are wide open saying, I sent my son so that you could come today and be free and clean. And so what he says in Hebrews 10 let us hold fast the confession of what? Our hope. Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Here's what he's saying. I don't want you wavering this morning about who you are in me. You're filled with hope. You're filled with assurance and purpose and dignity because I came and cleaned you for all that call on the name of Jesus. Now listen, if you haven't called on the name of Jesus, that's the stark reality. We bear the guilt. We can't get rid of it. It's a thousand things we can try to do to get rid of it. That's what they were doing in the Old Testament. It kept sacrificing, kept sacrificing. They couldn't get rid of the guilt. God said, I'll get rid of the guilt for you, but you got to come to me. You got to open your hands. And if you'll do that, I make you clean today. You live clean and you live free of all encumbrances, of anything that would tell you you don't have worth and value, you can't do it, you haven't done enough, you haven't been spiritual enough, you haven't prayed enough, you've been this kind of a husband, you've been that kind of a father, you can't do this, you can't do that. He's come to wipe all of that away and say, no, stand clean today again. And you live from what I have said of you, you're clean. You guys stand with me. I'm just gonna give this moment, we're gonna finish out, just hit with a, a chorus, a chance just to declare. And here's what I want you to do. In fact, if you would, just close your eyes. And I just want you to see the king of the universe that came for you and me. I want you to see him high and lifted up, ready to do what? To make you and I clean right now. And all he wants to do is say, what would hold you back? Is there anything right now that is holding you back from me that you feel guilty? Maybe your conscience is telling me you can't. 
there a hurt or a wound you're carrying? Bitterness, lying, brokenness, pride or arrogance, selfishness. Maybe self-justifying, trying to whip yourself up into being enough. You've been trying to appease God with your morality and good decision-making. Would you just bring that before him? Lay it right now. And just be honest with him. Say, here are the ways that I try to self-justify, try to make myself okay. And I'm coming now hands open for you to make me clean. Clean conscience. Because I trust you. Lord, we give these things to you now. We offer these things to you. Anything that is keeping us from you. Confess it to him. Confess just means agree, partner with the Lord. Here's what keeps me from you. I feel guilty. I feel shame. Just tell him. So would you clean me today? You clean me. Not me clean myself. You clean me. And then let's worship. And as we worship, would you just let the Lord wash you? Here's, I'm just going to ask you this. As you sing this song, would you let the Lord wash you and make you whole? Let's worship.